You are listening to the Jobbers Court Podcast, part of the W2M Network. We're a podcast for wrestling fans old and new. Court is now in session. Welcome again to another episode of Jobbers Court. Uh, we're here with the W2M Network, uh, putting on our weekly podcast. I am Rasquatch, the king and moderator of the roundtable of Jobbers Court. And uh, right now I am joined by Cedric, the wise old owl of wrestling. And uh, we have a special guest with us tonight, independent talent, uh, Billy McNeil, who joins us from uh, the St. Louis circuit. He's going to talk to us uh, for, for about good half an hour just about his career and then after that we're going to bust into the other topics that we have in store um before we get started though we, we can't officially make you a member billy until we initiate you into jobbers court so cedric why All don't right. you uh why don't you walk us through that uh through that process what do you got for us okay i, I i'm not really walking right now I'm kind of low crawling but all right it's pretty it's pretty late here but billy are you ready uh yeah i suppose so I just want to make sure that I get the chant right. Some of the incense, the uh, fake blood that we bought because we got in trouble for the, using real blood. Yeah, that happened. Am I right to be nervous? You, no, you'll, no, be, no, no. You, you'll be okay. The, the 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 lamb that we had to sacrifice for you to join, though, maybe not so much. Gotcha. Well, what can you do? What can you do? So... You ready? All right, here we go. Ready right. for the channel. Okay. Billy McNeil, Billy McNeil, you're part of Jarvis Court for real. You're good. All right. Well, welcome. Right. You, you are newly initiated and now a part of our wrestling round table. So, um, that being said, Cedric, why don't you, um, why don't you just go ahead and uh, get us started with our first and greatest burning question that we have for all guests. Okay. So what's the social security number? Uh, Wait, I'm sorry. Let's, sorry. That, that never works. Man. It never it never does. But maybe, maybe I should give it time. Maybe like five, ten seconds after I ask it. You never maybe. know. Yeah, I, would, I was about to start spitting out numbers there. So, yeah, I mean. Dang it. Dang it. Ah. Well, we, we usually like to ask from episode one. This is the question that we started with. And so we accustomed to ask our first time guest to just give us a, a, a quick you know, summary of, of what got them into wrestling, you know, what made them become fans first. Cause I'm pretty sure that before we join in any form, the, the first thing that the first role was fans of wrestling. And then the second, the second part of that question would be once you became a fan, what was that that made you jump into biz into the business itself as an indie wrestler? I'd see. I think the earliest I can remember ever having any kind of, interest in wrestling was around the time that the WrestleMania video game came out for Nintendo. Uh -huh. uh, I remember, I remember being at the video store and seeing that on the shelf and just kind of, uh, cause I had a, something of an awareness of wrestling. I was very young at the time, obviously, but uh, I remember seeing it and then kind of piqued my interest and uh, I just gotten a Nintendo at the time and went and went and rented it. And I don't know, it was, it was something just completely different and, 
outside of my realm of consciousness at the time. So I, I was like, okay, well, I, I think this is something I'll think is cool. And, and then I remember sticking around on, uh, I was watching USA Network, the cartoon, uh, Cartoon Express that they used to have on there. And then after that, uh, WWF All American came on. So I remember watching that one day and I was immediately hooked and just started watching everything I could get my hands on. Hmm. I think I rented every VHS they had at Blockbuster Video at the time, probably. 10 times over every WrestleMania up to that point, which I believe was around five. And then uh, just all the Coliseum home video, best of WWF volume one through 300 or whatever they had going at the time. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's pretty much my beginning of uh, fandom and pro wrestling. But uh, as far as what made me get into the business, eventually uh, once I would, I, th- I was probably yeah, just about done with my junior year of high school. And I remember trying to think of, you know, what am I going to do after I get out of high school? And just having a curiosity, like, well, what does it take to become a pro wrestler? I'm, I was a huge fan of pro wrestling at the time. I had, you know, 8,000 action figures. I had, you know, pictures of guys all over my walls in my room and everything. And, I just remember looking like the internet was still in its infancy at this point. So with the, with a little bit of information that was out there, I ordered this book about how to become a pro wrestler. I believe it was by uh, King Kong Bundy and an assortment of others. And uh, I just remember getting that book and in the back of the book, they had all this information about like, here's where you go train if you want to become a pro wrestler. Uh, so just, out of curiosity, I, I ended up calling a few of the places. A lot of the numbers didn't work, and they just had wrong information. Some of them weren't operational anymore, but I finally found one that was uh, run by Mike Shaw, who uh, wrestling fans might know better as Bastion Booger or Norman the Lunatic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up calling him, talked to his wife for a little bit. She pretty much handled the the business end of the, of the school. I ended up talking to her for a little while, and come to finally make the decision like well i guess uh guess once i get out of high school i'm gonna go move up to uh marquette michigan which is where it was and start training to become a wrestler so i packed up my car with everything i owned and moved you know 700 miles away up to michigan and started training in a kickboxing gym with bastion booger hmm. interesting he was also friar ferguson right Briar Ferguson, I believe he lasted uh, two TV tapings for that one. I yeah. asked him about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He said they were getting all kinds of uh, getting all kinds of flack from religious groups and stuff like that. They found it disrespectful, and I he just he said they rather than attract controversy, they'll just change it to something else. Yeah, and I think Bastion Booger started shortly thereafter. I think if I remember right. Yeah, it was, a, it was about a month or two after that. He was on TV jobbing. Yeah. To, Virgil in his first match, so things were obviously going well for him. Well, you, you know what's funny? You mentioned that book with King Kong Bundy. Uh, I was recently yeah. listening to Chris Jericho's podcast, and he had uh, Christopher Daniels and Kazarian on there, and Christopher right. Daniels was saying the exact same thing. Like that—that's what how he ended up finding a place to train was also through that exact same book. So, just funny how that how that works. Um, yeah, around that period of time, like I said, the internet was in its infancy mm-hmm. at that point. I mean, now you can find 8 million wrestling schools on there at a click of a button, but back then it was a little bit harder to find information about those things, and that seemed to be the only thing that you could find that would give you any kind of direction. So you you went up, you did your training up there in Michigan. Uh, how long was your training before you 
finally got to actually be in a match? Uh, let's see. I believe I was in training for four weeks uh, before I got a spot on the show. Wow. Uh, yeah, well, I, it, it's not that I was just so good that they had to put me on a show or anything. Believe me, um, <laughs> those matches are terrible. But uh, the thing was, I was training with a, a few other guys. We all lived in the same like extended stay hotel type thing, which mm-hmm. it makes it sound a lot nicer than it actually was. <laughs> but we all kind of lived together basically. And these guys were, I had been training longer than I have and we're off doing shows. Uh, they'd go over to Wisconsin a couple times a month and go work over there. And they were like, one of the times they were going, I asked me, you know, Hey, you want to come along for the, sh-? you know, just meet some people, whatever, get, get, get your name out there, you know, that sort of thing. Just get some experience, you know, traveling, whatever. So I was like, sure, why not? And ended up getting put on the show against uh, one of the guys I was training with at the time. Well, if you started back then, then then you're a you're a veteran then for sure in this uh, in this industry. So you've been around obviously for uh, quite a long time. Um, I was first yeah, going on 17 years now. <laughs> I was first introduced to your work uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, I worked uh, helped out with some commentary at a pro wrestling epic show. Um, All right, we were looking for looking forward to seeing you because you obviously have kind of a throwback to an actual gimmick, which you don't, you don't see as often anymore. Um, so if you were going to try to describe to somebody who hasn't ever seen your work, how would you describe a, your gimmick and then kind of be what, what's kind of your wrestling style? Uh, let's see to describe my gimmick. Uh, I wear like, goofy animal masks out to the ring and I kind of uh, let's see I've got a monkey which I call Cornelius and a uh, unicorn which is Ulysses of course mm-hmm. and then uh, kind of take on a little bit of the mannerisms of whatever animal I happen to wear as my entrance gear that particular time um, and then I'm just beyond that it's just me out there goofing around having fun and uh, I'd say my style is I, don't know, I, I do a lot of kicks. I do a lot of flips. Uh, I make a lot of jokes. Hmm. So that's uh, uh, probably the best way I would describe it. Yeah, I think sometimes um, when I watch you work, it it, it kind of reminds me of, like with with your character that you almost don't have like a sense of technology sometimes because I, I know you'll you'll find a camera and you'll sort of be over there almost in awe of it and it, it's it's great the way that you you can do that as far as the way you, you can take out like you know, really start believing in, you know, what, what it is that you had. The other thing is that that monkey mask that you have matches your skin tone, like exactly. So sometimes it's uh, I remember the first time I saw it, I was a little bit creepy because you know, you have, you have that whole uh, planet of the apes thing um, going on. But uh, yeah, I definitely, um, definitely dig the, the gimmick in general. I, I, I miss kind of like old, old school, silly gimmicks like that sometimes, but Definitely can tell you're having fun. Uh, you also, I know you did an homage to Deadpool. Um, one of the times I seen you wrestle as well, you had your face painted up, kind of like Deadpool. But Cedric, before I take over the interview completely, what questions did you, <laughs> did, did you have for uh, for Billy? No, I, just, I, I was gonna say I, I was checking one of your matches. One of your, I think it was posted about a, a few weeks ago, or actually about a month ago. And for someone who's been around for a while, I was a pretty young man. That's pretty cool. 
And I was gonna say also that the yeah the the mask thing kind of at first I was like yeah that's not the guy that we're gonna interview it and then all of a sudden they <laughs> introduced him like oh yeah that is the guy we're gonna interview I'm like I, I'm like I wonder who's gonna have the mask on as we as we're going through the interview that'll be kind of kind of cool yeah unfortunately it's pretty difficult to talk or be heard or especially <laughs> hear anything in either one of those masks like especially the unicorn I can't see yeah. anything I yeah. just kind of gotta hope I get to the ring. Man. But but definitely, I, I did notice your you know your knees, some pretty brutal knees, some pretty good kicks, um, definitely some some athletic moves, and you you saw pretty well your your, your own bump. So pretty pretty good wrestling style. Thank you. Yeah, I'd like and, I, I I don't know. It's fun. Get I like going out there and getting thrown around and taking crazy bumps and stuff like that because I usually don't feel it until the next day. So that's that's a plus. Yeah, well, I think that's one thing about being. I think that's one thing about being small. You know, smaller is that you kind of have to. Right. You kind of have to like to be. You know, kind of to- tossed about. But I think I saw a match with you and um, uh, Leon Mephisto uh, from a while yeah. back, and I know like those are the kind of match I like to see where a guy who's who's much bigger than you can sort of sort of bully you around, and then you get to get into the comebacks and that kind of stuff in in, in those type of matches. But um, yeah, exactly. One thing I I have to so besides obviously with Pro Wrestling Epic, I know I've seen you with uh, Wrestling Invades America. There are any other places mm-hmm. that, that that you work around the same? Uh, yeah, area? I have, yeah, I work at uh, Dynamo Pro. Unfortunately, it seems like uh, most of the companies I work for shut down shortly thereafter. So I'm not claiming credit for that, but uh, there's been a few <laughs> other ones locally. That uh, I've worked for in the last couple of years that aren't aren't around anymore. But right now it's just uh, Wrestling Invades America and Dynamo Pro. Yeah, because I think they kind of said I think they did some kind of merger. Seems like because Pro Wrestling Epic hadn't had a show in a while, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, they're kind of cross promoting with uh, mm-hmm. WIA right now. Yeah, I know that it's nice to see you guys there because I only have to drive, you know, out the. 10 minutes out to Belleville instead of out to St. Louis to see you guys. But, um, right on. Um, so I guess the, the thing would be, where did you kind of come up with this idea to do these, these crazy animals and, you know, and that, as far as your entrance and then the other, uh, question, oh, and I'll say, and then, sorry, the, go ahead. Oh, you're fine. And then the other question is, and where do you, where do you get those boots? Cause man, it just, it makes me think of like big bird or like, Grover or like something with those big furry boots, depending on the on the color that you wear. It must be Johnny Mundo. Yes. Yeah, well, sometimes. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's funny you call him Big Bird because that's exactly what I thought the yellow ones looked like when I mm-hmm. first got them. I'm like, I can't wear these. I'm gonna look like Big Bird. <laughs> but I mean, they're fun. I uh, recently I've been able to find them like in stores, but when I originally got them, I had to just order them online. Really? Uh, wow. Where the masks. Yeah, where the mask came from. Uh, around the time I started doing it, it was like a uh, uh, internet meme with people wearing like horse masks just in everyday situations, <laughs> and I thought it was hysterically funny. And so I got online. I'm like, I got to get a hold of one of those, and I found the unicorn. I was like, that's perfect. So I <laughs> get the unicorn mask, and eventually convinced uh, promoters to let me wear them out for my intro. And uh, it ended up getting pretty over, so I lo- I kept looking around for other masks, and I found the monkey mask, which, uh, I, I don't know, I feel it's pretty realistic looking, 
So very much. I, yeah, <laughs> it creeps my wife out to no end. It's hilarious. But, uh, it, it, the, like the mouth actually moves when you talk, when you have it on and stuff. So I picked that up and I, I love that mask. It's great. All right. Um, so I think before you did this and you started everything with the, um, with the masks, uh, were you doing the same kind of gimmick before that? Or is there anything else maybe that, that you did in the past? Obviously 17 years of experience under your belt. Um, what would be some other types of types of things that you tried to do? Uh, see, when I first started, uh, it was actually my first day at, the. Uh, pro wrestling training i came up with the gimmick name of irish luchador billy mcneil mm. so i did kind of like a, a leprechaun type gimmick i had my hair bright orange and just wore all you know green and stuff like that and just basically dressed like a leprechaun but uh, i did that for a few years i had like a gigantic oversized leprechaun hat that i wore but uh, i did that for quite a while actually and then uh, eventually i was just I don't know. I, I guess I was getting kind of tired of it. I felt, felt like it kind of run its course and I just tried to find something new and that's, I just started doing less and less of the, you know, Irish imagery stuff. And that's when I stumbled across the horse mask thing and took that and ran with it. Well, I, I always like to ask you guys, did you know that you are created in a, uh, computer, simulation style uh video game um so there's a video game there's a video game called uh total extreme warfare and it's uh it's a free online game well somebody has taken the time to uh to actually create you as a uh as a wrestler in that game amongst like about five thousand other wrestlers but found it interesting that um you were actually a, a character in that game and they have stats for you and all that. And you can select you and, and book you to wrestle and all those types really? of things. Yep. And I, uh, I was completely unaware of this. Yeah. So that's a, uh, you know, obviously, money. yeah, I would say that I don't think they make any money off of it, but there, but there's two, <laughs> there, there's two games. There's total extreme warfare and there's another one that's um, called extreme warfare revenge. And they're both by the same person, but people take and make custom files out of those and it's it's literally just a booking game you you sign wrestlers and you book them and put matches together i play it all the time but i i had the updated rosters from 2016 that they had on there and i just happened to run across i was like wow they have billy mcneil on here how about that so thought it was interesting (laughs) you'd want to know like yeah that people actually were scouting you enough to to put you into a a little book and video game it's pretty cool yeah, that's crazy, man. I had no idea. So it's just like a uh, like a wrestling promotion booker simulator type thing? Yeah, exactly. It's free. The um, Extreme Warfare Revenge, EWR. If you search for it on Google, you can download a free copy of it. And then um, oh. from there, you can find people who have done custom uh, roster updates for it. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy, man. I'm going to have yeah. to look into that. Yeah, it's pretty It's always one of my dreams to be on a video game, regardless yeah. of what form or format so i was was say unfortunately you know there's no graphics or anything with it but it uh right um, the the total extreme warfare costs money that one's actually like you pay 30 40 bucks to download that game because it's a little more intensive but um in that in in that one you actually put the matches together and and do all that you just don't get to watch the matches you just read about the results of them but 
But yeah, that's uh, I always I always wonder if you guys knew you you're on a lot of those games, and I told Gary J that he thought it was one of the coolest things he'd ever heard that people actually put him in a video game. So, but yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, Gary J, good friend of mine. That guy's awesome. Yep, very awesome dude too. Um, but hey, uh, I got a quick question. Be, sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. I was, I was gonna ask the the one man circus nickname. Where did that come from? Uh, it just basically came from me sitting around trying to think of a cool nickname, and uh, I I had a few other ones. I'm trying to remember what they were right now. Uh, like Human Cartoon, I think was one of them. Uh, human Action Figure, uh, and then came up with the One Man Circus one. I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool, and I'll I forget about it most of the time. So I I uh, there's only a couple of places where I've ever actually been called that, but we were. Uh, I was using it as part of an angle we were doing in uh, Pro Wrestling Epic before they kind of stopped running shows where uh, me and uh, Clown Man Jacko were going to form a team together. Uh, we were going to be called the Balloon Animals. <laughs> uh, but he's he's a giant dude who uh, dresses like a clown. Yeah. Oh. But uh, yeah, that was kind of where that was going. His, his heel turn's been terrifying, by the way. Because clowns, you know, are kind of creepy. So when he's playing like the the okay good clown, that's one thing. But man, now that right. last time I saw him, he was he was working heel, and clowns freaked me out anyway. So I was like, good job, good job, Jacko. But uh, yeah, definitely, he's an intimidating <laughs> dude. Yeah, he's say he's a big guy anyway. So um, yep. but uh, all right. So I guess a couple other things I want to cover. Being around this long. You've got to have some some really good stories. I know, obviously, you know, road stories and stuff goes road stays in the road. But do you have any either really funny, really entertaining locker room stories, or maybe something that happened in the ring, just some kind of circumstances or anything like that? All right. Uh, yeah, pretty much my go-to in the situation is the time I got the crap kicked out of me by a little person. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, there was this show. It was out in uh, what was it? What was it? Leavenworth, Kansas, that's where I was. But uh, it was a kind of a smaller-scale indie promotion, and they had a battle royal on the show, which everybody who was on the show was in, which included the little people. And uh, so they're in there, you know, just same as us. And uh, me and my, my buddy Jack Adonis, who I was working that night, uh, we are just kind of messing around in there. And he went to give me a groin shot. And instead of doing the pulled groin shot where you don't actually punch someone in the nuts, he actually just uppercutted me right in the nuts. Oh. So I I hit the ground. I, oh, I wasn't selling. It was for real. That hurt like a... But uh, so next thing I know, there's a little person on top of me just pummeling me in the face. This I don't know what I did to this dude, but he he was out there with a vengeance. And he's just on top of me, punching me in the face. And I'm... I just got hit in the nuts. I'm not doing anything. So I just start yelling, Jack, Jack, help. So my buddy Jack sees this. He runs over and he boots this dude in the head, like for real. And he just went flying through the air. Like he was a football that just got punted. And he punted Baxter. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. This guy was shooting on you. I, I get, I mean, if that's his way of working, I'd hate to see what he'd be like in a shoot because he was, he was full, he was throwing live rounds on me. <laughs> Again, I don't know what I did to this dude. I don't even remember like interacting with him at all before. That, that's that exactly point. what happened. He, w- he was trying to get your attention. You didn't see him. 
Well, I would say he had little man syndrome, but I don't know if you're allowed to say that about little people. So I don't know. I'm, I'm sure. trying to be as politically correct as possible with all this. <laughs> all right. Um, so any um, any that that is a really good one. And anything uh, anything else that you that you had any any kind of ribs or anything like that 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 maybe you were involved in? I always like to hear about those. Uh, let's see. Uh, I remember back in. Uh, when we were working in Gateway Championship Wrestling, that's where uh, that's pretty much where I started in the St. Louis area. It was a pretty uh, prominent promotion here in the early 2000s. That's where uh, Delirious, Matt Seidel, and mm-hmm. Mischief, and Daisy Hayes came from, for some people you might have heard of. But uh, I remember them. I don't know. I don't even remember exactly who it was. There might have been this dude, Ryan Ash, who was uh, kind of part of our crew at the time, but he would constantly like lock people's bags up with like, you know, 15 foot long chains with padlocks and just whenever they're out in the ring, just padlock their bag shut or take one of those giant rolls of, uh, what do you call that stuff? Like saran wrap, like the industrial size ones hmm. and yeah. just wrap up a bag with a half a roll of one of those to where he couldn't cut through it with a knife. Huh. <laughs> it's, but, I mean, it was, it was nothing like spectacular, but it well, was, Still, I I think those things are I think those things are good, and I think like a little bit of like ribbing like uh, along those lines. Just I never thought there's anything wrong with it. I know I look back at some things, and at the time, like I might have been pissed for five or six minutes. Like if somebody plays trick on me, I'm usually kind of pissed about it for five or six minutes. But then I can look back at it and say, man, you know, it's still gonna be a really like a really good story like down the road. So yeah, I always thought I always find those things interesting because in some ways. You know, that's uh, the kind of a, a part of practical jokes. Um, it kind of carries over to some of the time I've spent in the military as well. It seems kind of thing happens sometimes. But um, so, all right, well, great stuff. Um, before we uh, we go any further, um, do you want to go ahead and let everyone know where they can find you, how they can follow you, how they can check out some of your stuff? All right, yeah, uh I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can look up Billy McNeil or uh, Billy McNeil Pro Wrestler. It's my fan page. Uh, either one of those is uh, perfectly okay for any way to get a hold of me or uh, see what I have to say about things or places I might be wrestling soon, that sort of thing. And then uh, on YouTube, I, I got you know handful of matches up there. Uh, nothing I put up, but uh, just different things that other promotions have put up. Just look up Billy McNeil wrestler on there. If you look up just Billy McNeil, you're going to get a lot of soccer or uh, <laughs> football yeah. highlights, yeah. depending yeah, on what part of the world the wrestling, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, just that's, that's pretty much the extent of my internet presence. I don't have Twitter or Instagram or any of that stuff because I don't understand it. And it frightens me. <laughs> well, your, um, what would you say as far as what would you say the most, I guess, famous wrestler that, that you've ever been in the ring with and then also like maybe what's one of your favorite matches and just tell explain us why you why you liked it so much all right um well the most famous wrestler i've ever been in the ring with is uh, no contest terry funk ah oh, wow that's yeah that was actually very early on uh, in my career if you can call it that what was that uh, like working with terry Funk? Oh, okay sorry i'm uh yeah, basically what it was, was I was, uh, re- this was a show that was put on in, uh, 
Marquette, Michigan, which is, as I said, where I trained starting out. And it was a show that there's a guy who brought in a bunch of like old WWF guys and he brought in like some, it like filled out the show with students from Bash and Booger School. So that's how I got a part of it. But basically what happened was they wanted to do a, a thing where they were going to award me as rookie of the year of this promotion that had run two shows ever. <laughs> and, uh, so they put me in the ring. This was around the time where Terry Funk was uh, commissioner of WCW. Hmm. And they were playing an angle like he thought he was commissioner of all of pro wrestling. So they had me come to the ring and basically accept my award for rookie of the year. Terry Funk comes out, interrupts it. I go to tell him, like, it's, you know, with all due respect, sir, you know, I won the award fair and square. And then basically what happened was. From that point on, left hand straight to the face. I go down. He starts putting the boots to me, gets me up, gives me a pile driver, neck breaker, whatever it was. And then uh, Bruce Hart runs out for the save on that one. So that was one of the weirdest and coolest things I've ever been a part wow, of. Yeah, that'd have, man, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I kind of wish it had happened later on so I'd have a little bit more appreciation for just how great it was. I was so nervous at the time. I was like five matches in. Uh, I, I was a nervous wreck that day, yeah. but... It was one of the coolest things that's ever happened in my entire life. Wow, yeah. Um, so as far as like a, maybe what you'd consider like an epic match or just one of your, your better matches you've ever had, what was that and why would you say you enjoyed it so much? I'd say probably my best match was with uh, the aforementioned Jack Adonis, who was one of my training partners here for a very long time. We got on a show out in Peoria. Um well, basically, it was another one of those things. It was kind of, kind of a similar story to the first one, but it was a lot of the guys who uh, were in ECW, which had just closed down at the time, and they were part of uh, a tour called Wrestle Zone. So it was like Tommy Dreamer and Kid Cash, Nova and Public Enemy and Balls Mahoney, a whole bunch of guys like that on the show. And then, again, local indie guys, well, they were renting the ring from us, so that's kind of how we got into that. They put a few of us on the show, but... Anywho, uh, Jack and I had worked a ton of matches together, so they figured, you know, we'll put those two together. They'd know each other. They'll work all right together. But I think what made it uh, one of my favorites anyway was the fact that we had done so many matches together, but of all of them, I think everything clicked more in that match mm -hmm. than it has anywhere else. Uh, there's just a couple of things that happened that uh, we couldn't have planned if we tried for a million years. It's just things work out great sometimes without any real reason to it but and also it was in front of probably the biggest crowd we've ever worked in front of there's uh i don't know at least a couple thousand people there that day so it was cool to do that in front of that many people yeah. and not you know screw up in front of that many people and get laughed out of the place but they they seemed to really like what we were doing and I, it's one of the best memories i have in wrestling well, that's that's just amazing i think anytime you know you can you can just carry through memory like that. Thanks for sharing it with us, because I know that's we always love to hear about your guys' stories and and your past and and all that kind of stuff. Um, but what we're gonna do now, Billy, uh, I know you you're on here for the the long haul with us, so we want to thank you first of all for allowing us to interview and, and then also joining us on the show. But uh, we don't just want your you know your your opinions in this interview. We're gonna have some some riveting topics here tonight as well that we really want to hear uh, hear your side on these things that we're gonna be talking about. So. Um, again, thanks for joining us, but we have one other person who is, uh, who's here with us now. He's, 
He's fresh from the uh, softball fields in Alaska. Houkster, the man of a thousand and four nicknames, has finally, finally made it onto the podcast. Um, I see you see you've survived and made it here safely. Yes, I I, I did survive. I apologize for being late, but uh, <laughs> I had to go knock some balls around, so to speak. So to speak, did you hit did you hit the cycle? Uh, no, the washing machine was just fine, but uh. Yeah, we, we won both games, but uh, you know what? The past is the past. I'm ready to look forward. And let's talk about wrestling. <laughs> All right, then, guys. Um, what I want to cover first and foremost is kind of want to talk a little bit about Brock Lesnar. Obviously, he had a big win in the UFC last weekend. Um, a couple things ab- about him. Um, Billy, since you're our guest, we're going to kind of let you start out with your yep. thoughts and opinions. But the first thing we kind of want to talk about is um, both Brock Lesnar and the Dudley boys, and I weighed in on their thoughts a little bit about uh, the Dallas shootings and everything else that, that's sort of been, been going on in the in the world. Um, do you think that more wrestlers in the WWE should weigh in on the topic, or do you kind of think maybe it's it's safer or just that they, they kind of stay out of what's going on in the world? Uh, I mean, they're a person just like anyone else. I mean, regardless of their fame or stature or anything like that, they're, they're going to have opinions just like anybody. And uh, being in the limelights that they are, they're going to have a little bit more visibility. So I think if they think they can do some good and get some information out there or maybe show somebody a side of something that they don't know or give an opinion that kind of helps somebody understand things, I, I'm all for it. I think they should uh, – I think they should, you know, speak their opinion, and if they feel like they can make a difference by doing it, I'm all for it. What do you think? Maybe like, because obviously they, they were the two big names that really came out and said anything. What do you think sort of prevents other people from from commenting? I mean, obviously, like comments from someone like a Brock Lesnar, or you know, obviously we heard his comments, but someone like a John Cena or like someone else that's you know, obviously in the the front part of that company, we just. You know, we don't hear a lot of comments from them regarding these types of things. Why do you think that is? That, that do you think um, that we don't hear a lot from them? Uh, I think it's probably got a lot to do with them being in fear of judgment, either from the public or from the company that they represent. Um, I mean, you look at like you look at Brock Lesnar, you look at the Dudley Boys. They're generally looked at as being opinionated and fairly outspoken, and they don't seem to have as much fear of consequences when it comes to stuff like that. But I think a lot of the guys are probably just, I mean, I've, I've never been in that position. I can't speak for them, but sure. I, I would assume it, it all comes down to fear of judgment or repercussions. Okay. Um, Cedric, what do you, what do you think about their comments? And um, do you think more wrestlers should come out with their opinions? I, I, it caught me by surprise. I'm not going to, I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I know Brock Lesnar has always been a really big fan of the military and and the police force and whatnot. But it really caught me off guard when he actually said something. You know that, that was, I guess, ballsy at the, at the moment because we all know that that for a lot of folks, it's not so much of being pro or defending the police, but more the victim side of it. So I think it was really ballsy when he did that, and definitely, you know. The Dudley boys being both, you know, the, the, the white Caucasian, you know, being represented by Bubba and then the African-American by Devon, you know, that was pretty 
pretty cool the, the picture they posted. So I think it was really, uh, I appreciate it. It was very interesting. Do I think more should do so? I would say why not. I think I agree with Billy. You know, they, everybody has their own opinion. But I also agree with him in the sense that I, there might be a few of them that are afraid of the individual repercussion that might happen if they say something. You know, obviously we know that regardless of what one might think or what opinion one might have, there's always going to be folks that are not going to agree with you. So if you post something on Twitter that might bring too much attention on these Twitter wars or or if you say something on TV or something like that, you never know the reaction that the folks might have towards it. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not something that, you know, WWE leadership might want to tackle unless they themselves are the ones that, that initiate the, the actual, you know, movement or opinions and whatnot. Because we have seen them in the past, you know, support different topics, or not so much topics, but different events that have happened, you know, the Orlando shooting, stuff like that. But this 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 last event or last incident that happened, you know, it's a very touchy subject. All you have to do is just turn on the TV, watch the news, turn on, you know, log into news sites, Facebook, whatever. And you can see it's a very, very touchy subject. So I would think, you know, it being so so a sensitive topic that some of the rest might want to just stay away from it or, or even the company as a whole just to avoid any any backlash regardless of what their their opinion might be. Sure. Um, Hawkster, what do you think? Well, as your average red-blooded, blue-collar, good old-hearted American, I'm going to support any man's right to his freedom of speech, First Amendment, I tell you what. But, uh, but no, seriously, um, you know, praise to these guys for speaking their mind and not being afraid to. Uh, I thought it was awesome. Uh, watching the UFC fight at the bar, just about everybody in there stood up and clapped uh, after Brock Lesnar's comments. Uh, you know, whether you agree or disagree, uh, I thought it was very cool. Uh, same with the Dudley's picture. Uh, I, I thought it was very cool that they went out of their way. And, uh, I mean, typically just looking at pro wrestling in general, you know, some of the best storylines in pro wrestling come from real events, current events, or just what's going on, in, you know, in the real world. Uh, so as far as a storyline, I don't think that it should be used as like a kayfabe storyline for the actual show. But as far as letting someone speak their mind, I think it's great. And uh, I understand, you know, some of the, the lower card guys or some of the guys who aren't making millions of dollars in merchandise. I can understand some possible fears of repercussions. If they come out and say something that the company itself isn't supporting or if they try to say something on behalf of the company, um, I, I can understand repercussions for that. But as an individual saying your individual beliefs, mm. hey, there ain't nothing more American than that. <laughs> well, America. Well, staying on the... Even though Brock Lesnar did move to Canada. Yeah. Uh, and in the pre-fight, they asked him, why, why are you fighting out of Canada? Well, it's easy. I live there. Is it a political thing? Like, no, I just live there. <laughs> yeah, I was. Everybody, uh, I was uh, keep a contact with watching those fights. So like, since when was Brock Lesnar Canadian? But uh, I mean, for all those who didn't know, I mean, he grew up in South Dakota anyway. You might as well be in Canada. It's up in my neck of the woods. So, um, but all right, staying on a uh, talking about Brock Lesnar, um, Billy, he had that win at UFC 200. Uh, I know I've right. said this. I've said this many times um, on this podcast. I don't ever think they should book Brock Lesnar to lose a match. 
I personally am one of those guys who thinks he's he's so strong as a character right now, so strong as a performer. Like the last match he loses maybe is is maybe his last match. But what do you think on thoughts of, of future booking plans? If if you were in charge, what are you looking to do with him and and Randy Orton here coming up at SummerSlam? Uh, well, what I would do there is have Brock Lesnar absolutely demolish him and anyone else they put in his path. He's got the most legitimacy of any guy on the roster. And he's it's crazy because he's got such a a tough guy persona in wrestling and as well in real life. I think he comes off just like even take take the UFC stuff out of it. He still comes off like a legitimate badass monster mm-hmm. who could destroy anybody that you put in front of him. So I think that's exactly how you should treat him. And yeah, I would book him to win everything forever. Oh, interesting. Cedric, I knew I liked this guy, by the way. <laughs> totally, totally agree. So, um, Cedric, what what are your thoughts? It, it's difficult because, you know, you have a, a guy that legitimately won a UFC fight, which, by the way, before we started the podcast, there's a, there was an article running around that possible flag by the anti-doping agency that you say it or so. Oh, let's let's hope that nothing comes out of that. But that's that's an article that's running running wild right now. But keeping in topic, uh, you know the, the guy does the legitimate MMA. You know he he has his credentials before he came into the world of sports entertainment. Obviously, a, a big renowned re- um, collegiate wrestling uh, star. So at this at this point in his career, after everything he's done and and the storylines within the sports entertainment world or the actual fighting world, it's it's hard to see him lose. And like I, I agree with you, you know, for for him to lose would have to be able to put somebody over someone that really the company thinks this this is our guy from this point on. Or just because he's about to call it quits, you know, he's he's done with wrestling uh, as as a sports entertainment speaking. From against Randy Orton Darn. The thing is, like, what, what part, what role would Randy Orton play once this brand split happens? You know, he's been gone, he's been off for quite a while. So this match out of the blue, I think his star power, Randy Orton's own star power is high enough that if he were to lose, I'm pretty sure they're going to make it competitive. I don't think it'll be a Dean Ambrose street fight where he just got thrown around from pillar to pillar and, and then the match ended. But when it comes to Brock, it's, it's very difficult, definitely, because if he loses, we know it's gonna be weird. But if the person who, if the person he fights against is, is has enough star power, if they lose, they can still re- rebound. So I, I agree, he should probably get a few more wins. I'm not too sure about putting a title on him and having this whole part-time champ that shows up every now and then. I, for one, I'm not a fan of that. I know yeah. some people don't. Me neither. Don't care. Don't care about it too much. Some people. I think it's okay when he had the champ championship and you barely saw him when the rock had the championship and you barely saw him Some people were okay, okay with that. But he, he, he's at a point right now in his career that he's almost like the undertaker, you know, he can come two or three times and fight high profile fights. And, and that's enough. That'll be, that'll be enough for him money wise. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But that'll be good for the rest of he fights. Alexander, how about you? What do you think? I completely agree with what uh, with what Cedric was saying. Uh, as far as the doping thing, and you know, I've heard the whole spiel about well, the fight 
the the contract was signed less than four months away from the actual fight. It was only a few weeks, and UFC has that four-month-out test. Well, I mean, Brock Lesnar is still under contract with WWE, so is he not still subject to the WWE wellness policy, which over the last at least five years has proven to be a lot more reputable than the UFC testing. Hmm. And that's why GSP retired from UFC. So I just want to throw that out there to to some of the naysayers about uh, Brock Lesnar's status. You know, and that's just my two cents on that. But as far as booking and again talking about pro wrestling, I, uh, <laughs> I yeah I agree. I don't I don't see how you can uh, how you can book Brock Lesnar to lose. Uh, he's got the most legitimate uh, strength in ring persona, and just the guy's a, the beast incarnate. You know that's his that's his gimmick, and that's that's what he lives. You know, real life and kayfabe, and in the uh, in kind of the the era that we're entering right now with pro wrestling. There's really only two ways you can go, and I guess we're going to talk about this later on in some of our next subjects. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can either drift and try to legitimize and try to make things even more and more and more real looking, or you can go the exact opposite and go just super over the top crazy fantasy. And with Brock Lesnar, you can't do this crazy fantasy. You know, you have to you have to make it legitimate. And legitimately, I don't think there's a guy in WWE that can that can take him right now. Yeah, no, I, I mean if. If you had to if you had to have a legitimate shoot yeah no i <laughs> i don't know i mean there's guys with strike and training like i know rusev legitimately trained like with some some martial arts and a couple other guys i mean i think a lot of wrestlers nowadays have some form of martial arts training but uh one thing i want to touch on is cedric i definitely agree with you as far as putting a title on Brock Lesnar, I don't think that that's a good idea. I think Vince McMahon described it the best when he talks about Brock Lesnar as being an attraction. He's one of those guys that when you see him three, four times a year, you're really excited, you're really happy to watch him, but at the same time, like, you expect him to come out there and dominate, you know, who he's going up against. So, like, that that moment he loses, I think his next match is going to almost be an Undertaker moment, like when Undertaker lost at WrestleMania. I think it'll be that type of moment when he loses. Um, so, just just my opinion. Any other uh, any other takeaways about Brock Lesnar before we move on? I just want to say I think it would be awesome to see a uh, a rematch between Undertaker and Brock Lesnar if Undertaker can handle it. Another one. I think that'd be that'd be that'd be that'd be neat. You know, Undertaker trying to uh, to reclaim the loss. Uh, I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. If if, if he'd be up to it. I just think they had they had three matches last year alone, and honestly, Brock Lesnar won all three of those matches. It was that yeah. blue. Well, I'm not saying this year. I'm saying like uh-huh. you know maybe the Undertaker's very last match, or maybe Brock Lesnar's last match. Yeah. You know maybe a year or three down the road. Yeah, you guys know what I'm looking forward to, and that's uh, that's that's Bill Goldberg, Brock Lesnar too. Um, God, what a terrible match yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean, do you really think they could top the first one? Come on. Yeah. Oh, man. Even my kids couldn't watch that, and they love wrestling. But all right. So we've talked about Brock Lesnar for a while now. I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, so read an article, again, by our uh, friends over at uh, TGRWrestling.net um, that basically talked about uh, final deletion and how it may be an inspiration um, for the WWE. We saw WWE sort of, I don't know if it was in response to, but it was eerily similar in some ways to TNA's final deletion, and that was 
with the Wyatt compound attack with the the Wyatts and New Day. Um, so my question to you, I guess, Billy, we'll let you start out again, is um, first of all, what are your thoughts on the final deletion as well as the segment that they had with the Wyatts and New Day? And then um, next, creative licensing. Do you think that it's okay for WWE to take some of these uh, things like the International 16-Man Tournament, um, taking kind of an homage to the Final Deletion type things? Do you like that? Do you not like that? Your thoughts. Gotcha. Um, Well, when it comes to uh, the Final Deletion, I absolutely loved it. (laughs) I thought... I, everything be, building up to it and the match itself, I thought it was great. I like anything that tries to take a very tried and true format and make something unique out of it, which they absolutely did. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't like the the tone of it to where it almost seemed jokey and over the top, but they were taking it completely seriously. But I, I mean, I don't know their intentions with it, but whatever it was, I thought it was very entertaining. I loved it. And uh, as far as the uh, the Wyatt's New Day thing, I mean, who knows if that was inspired by that. But it, it's if you're going to do something like that, why do it right after they just did mm-hmm. the final deletion? I mean, it, it's going to draw comparison, even if it even if that wasn't your intention. That's what people are going to think about it. So and if you're WWE, I'm sure the last thing you want to invite is comparisons to TNA or people saying that you rip them off by doing the same thing. So, I mean, I, I can't say for sure that they, sure. they did that in response to the final deletion, but at the same time, it, all signs point to, yeah, they did. Did you enjoy, uh, the, did you enjoy the Wyatt segment? Uh, it would uh, kind of going back to what I say. It was, it was fairly entertaining, but at the same time, I, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just thinking they're just trying to do what the Hardys did. Like, even if that wasn't their intention, it's mm-hmm. pe- that's fresh in people's minds yeah. and that's going to draw that kind of comparison. Um, as far as the, uh, this, this, you're talking about the 16 man tag elimination thing they did on, uh, 4th of July, right? Yeah. And then now they have this cruiserweight, you know, the, the, the cruiserweight championship series tournament that they're doing. Um, so it, it seems like they, they're picking up, and obviously Japan does a lot of tournaments, that type of stuff too. So is this WWE just trying to kind of, fit into the fold with some of these other companies or do you think it's or do you, basically do you, do you think it's good or bad what they're what they're putting on right now with the cruiserweight classic and um sort of the way it looks for some of these other companies that have been doing tournaments for a long time yeah i mean i think uh, there i find less of a comparison uh as far as that goes because i mean tournaments and wrestling have been around forever like i mean wrestlemania 4 was a giant tournament so i mean they've got precedent for that I, I don't know that that was necessarily in response to anything i mean there's been indie tournaments forever you got the ted petty invitational the super eight uh all kinds of stuff like that those have been around forever so i think that was just their way of trying to figure out well hey we got you know there's a, a ridiculous amount of really talented cruiserweights all over the world now how do we put them on our show and use them in such a way that it would highlight their best attributes. And I think the tournament is absolutely the way to go with that. And just based on the first episode, I absolutely loved it. I, I looking forward to the next, uh, the next shows, the next rounds. I think it's going to be great. I very entertained by it. 
Awesome. Well, speaking of the uh, the tournament, real quick, I just want to take a second and shout out to Middle Kingdom Wrestling as well. We had uh, we had one of their promoters on on the show not too long ago, and just congratulations to you guys and uh, with uh, having your star Ho Ho Loon on there as well. So, um, Cedric, uh, what were your thoughts with the with final deletion? I mean, we kind of talked about it last episode, but how do you feel about this this Wyatt New Day thing? And did you draw a comparison when you watched it to what happened with Final Deletion? Yeah, uh, there's so, so much I wanted to say. Just just listening to Bailey, there's so many more things came to mind. Uh, just reading the article, for example, uh, it was funny because the, the guy was talking about what how Stanley mentioned about the whole real fantasy. But let let, let me rattle my brain a little bit because I have like ten thousand thoughts running around. All right, let me start with a question first of all. Yes, it, it's it's kind of difficult, like Billy says, kind of difficult to not have comparisons when almost a week after final deletion, the Hawaii comp white New Day compound match or fight or whatever you want to call it happened. Same thing with the US versus the internationals. Um Sean from Wrestling to the Max, he had posted on the W2M uh, Facebook page that it was weird to see that a week before CMLL had just done something similar, which was uh, the, the local Mexican fighters versus all the outside fighters 16-man tournament. Same on that tournament, a uh, Rumble-style elimination match. So, and, and this is not the first time that something that has happened a week or two prior in a different company, WWE runs something similar. The thing is, I'm pretty sure that the hardcore WWE fan probably never saw it from the other companies. So for them, it might be new. But for anybody who's actually paying attention to more than one company, they probably noticed it immediately. So it's it's kind of hard for for one not to see the comparisons. It's kind of I guess um, I don't I don't know if this is the right way to say, but a compliment to the other company if WWE thinks that that, that idea was good enough that they're gonna copy it and run with it. And pretty much hope that hey nobody noticed it or that they can do something different with the same idea. So I don't know. It's it it is what it is. You know, there's only so many ideas that, sure. that one can have at one at one point, especially when you've been around for as long as they have. So I liked more Final Deletion. To be honest with you, I, I watched the director's cut. I watched the signing. I, I have weeks and weeks of of TNA DVR for me to watch. I'm, I'm quite a few months behind. I can't wait to catch up, but I did watch these on YouTube. I thought it was hilarious. I could not stop laughing. I thought it was it was great. Some people have been very negative to it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. It was something yeah. different. Again, how Stanley touched upon it, and it happened that a few weeks ago, Stone Cold touched upon it in this podcast, and he said, look, the WWE is so afraid of going left or right that that's what they need, either go super real and not mind who you offend or go super fantasy, but you got to do something to spice up the the current product, not just the brand split, but actually what are you going to do after the brand split? Mm-hmm. And this is hopefully they saw not so much. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they see TNA as a rival or something to be afraid of. Maybe like in the days of WCW versus WWE, but hopefully they notice that fans are starting to notice these other companies. Because when I saw... When I was watching the final deletion of my wife, my wife immediately compared it to Lucha Underground. Yep. And I remember people at first Lucha Underground, they were like, that's not going to 
do anything. Well, people can't wait till season three now, so it's also picking up. And going back to what Billy was saying about the Cruiserweight uh, Classic, you know, there is a similar comparison because even the Brian Kendrick mentioned it, that he said, you know, it was about time that the WWE adopted something like similar to the, uh, what is it, the Super J Cup, I think is what it's called in, in New Japan, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> And yep. even and even and even Triple H said, you know, he didn't say it as let me give credit where credit is due to these companies, but he did mention, you know, it's time for the WWE to start adapting or accept or ad- adopting kind of certain things that wrestling fans like, aka from other companies. So, but the difference about WWE is. It gives a platform for these guys that might have never been. They're known across the world, but not in the U.S. It gives them a platform to finally be known in what what is considered the biggest stage in sports entertainment when it comes to the U.S. So it's 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 fine as long as you get credit where credit is due, and you realize that you know the WWE has the money and the and the power to probably elevate this to a to a whole different different stratosphere, especially within the U.S. Okay. Um, Hawkster, your thoughts? Uh, well, I I can see where y'all are coming from as far as the comparisons between deletion and the uh, the Wyatt compound segments. Uh, for me, yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from as far as like just the the middle of nowhere open field kind of crazy filters and weird camera angles. But to me, uh, they were very very different. Uh, for me, final deletion was pretty much it was it was the entire event it was the culmination of the story and it basically was an entire basically episode it was the beginning middle end it you know it was the it was the whole shebang if you will wwe always says we don't make matches we make rest or we make movies well that's basically what final deletion was it was a movie um for the wyatt compound to me that seemed more like just a backstage segment just Instead of backstage, it was out in the middle of the field. It didn't feel like a, a culmination or a, a big ending. It just felt like another chapter to a saga that's continuing to build up. Uh, so that, there's there's my take on it. Uh, as far as the, the influence, yeah, you can definitely tell a little bit of influences coming from it, just with, again, the, the way they filmed it. Uh, I felt like the Wyatt compound was a much more serious tone rather than final deletion which had just about every tone that there was you know it was very very serious as far as just the battle between them two but it was also really over the top cornball which made it to me even more entertaining uh because it really made you suspend your disbelief you know and it just engrossed you into what was going on whether you were a fan of pro wrestling or not like you you would have enjoyed this It, it was it was basically a combination of pro wrestling, Sharknado, and uh, <laughs> Call of Duty, Black Ops 3, just with really, really bad graphics. I mean, you had drones and you had a hologram of Matt Hardy. It was it was so just over-the-top crazy, but it was good and it was entertaining. And all the build-up before then from TNA Impact episodes, it made you look forward to this. So, like, it was it, it was it was really awesome, but it was... It was like the full event. It was the culmination of the story. It was it was the pay-per-view ending, so to speak, uh, rather than the Wyatt compound again. To me, it just felt like another chapter in the saga, another backstage segment that 
is meant to lead to something bigger later on. Now, whether they do a full, you know, outdoor battlefield like they did here, uh, yeah, I think people would pay money to see it still. I mean, huh. imitation is the best form of flattery, right? That's what they say. I'm, I'm still not sure what I watched when I watched Final Deletion. Um, I've watched it probably a good five times now. And, uh, it's, it's kind of like, what, what is it that you look for in pro wrestling, you know? And so we, we had this discussion not long ago with the whole Ricochet Will Ospreay thing. At the end of the day, you look back at it and you go, man, was, did, did, was that wrestling that I just watched or was it something different? This kind of gave me that same feeling. Like, was this wrestling or was it something different? Was, and to me, it was, it was definitely touched more on the entertainment side. I mean, it might be the first ever massive Roman candle fight in a in a wrestling in a wrestling promotion. Might be the first. Yeah, that one. to me was just so weird. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> might be the first hologram um, that we've seen in pro wrestling. Uh, so uh, no, Hell in a Cell, Bray Wyatt. He got that first. Yep. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't remember that. So the Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt came in, interrupted at the very end to take out Dean Ambrose. There was a hologram of uh, of Bray Wyatt at first, and then he jumped through the hologram. Ah. But that was about two years ago now. So mm. see, see, so boom, TNA yeah. copy WWE. Yep. Boom, there you go. Wyatt did it first. Yeah, all, there you at go. least they went a little bit. Circle. Yeah, it's come full circle. How you doing? Anyway, so <laughs> all right, so. All right. And anything else you guys want to talk about concerning Final Deletion? Like I said, we touched on a little bit last week, but overall, I still enjoyed it. It was just something you look back at and you go, "Wow, that was weird and different." And I don't know if I was ready for that yet. I think maybe it's a couple years ahead of its time still. I think far none. What separates the Final Deletion from anything else I've seen in a pro wrestling event, Senor Benjamin. <laughs> the the baby with yes, the little the little strip of the hair that was funny. Yeah, I'm. I will say this: Does anybody else think that that Matt Hardy looks like Corella Deville? Um, yeah, with that with that hair. Yeah, style? basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely especially see with that. the coat. <laughs> well, he should I, put I, the he should put the coat on and just complete this for me, just so I can live this out. I. It's Unless just, you've seen it, you can never unsee it. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow. <laughs> anyway, I just, uh, I just think I like I, I like how Stanley mentioned. You know what WWE says? We don't make well, what was it? How Stanley? We don't make wrestling. We make movies. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we make movies. But that's unless he's talking about the ones that have been straight to DVD or or somebody's in the movie theater. You know that that's been missing in some of the products for quite a while. So this this was a little bit over the top, but it. Yeah. It was like back in the day when you used to see these storylines that you were like, where the heck did this storyline come from? But I'm excited to find out where it's going. Yeah, like it was it was different. That's for sure. But even the wrestling was cool. The the angles, everything that they did, it was it. It was good. I I think it was it's what sports entertainment is. You know, are we going to if you're going to call it sports entertainment with the touch of wrestling and definitely that's that's what it is. And Lucha Underground has definitely found the formula to make it work and it, it was nice to see them and I'm actually happy that whether it was 
copied or not, I'm, I was actually happy to see WWE do something different with the Wyatts and the New Day. That, that too was a good angle as well. So, I got a question for uh, for Billy here, since he's really the only one here with uh, in-ring experience. How, how do you feel about the the matches with no live audience? Like, does does that kind of play effect a factor into the the I guess the entertainment value or the the making it real kind of thing for someone watching it? Um, you know, I I've never personally worked a match in front of no audience, but I, I I guess it really depends on what you're going for with it. I mean, when it comes to something like Final Deletion, they clearly did not need people present at the event while it was going on. It, it came off great how it was, but uh. I remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, the AWA had something called the Team Challenge Series in the dying days of that promotion where they would work in uh, basically an empty studio. And it uh, the matches just, they didn't feel the same because it, it, it had no atmosphere to it. It was just cold, uh, heatless wrestling. And it was, I don't know, it, it lost something not having a crowd there. So I think it, Either way, uh, it, it depends on what you're going for. If you're if you're going for a spectacle like Final Deletion, yeah, you don't need an audience for that. Um, if you're just putting on straight wrestling matches, it the crowd absolutely helps create some of that atmosphere. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think on the other end of that, you had the the halftime heat match that The mm-hmm. Rock and, and Mankind had in the empty arena um, during the halftime of the Super Bowl, and. Right. That was very entertaining because um, obviously they fought all over the building, you know. Um, right. So, yeah, if it's just straight up going to stay in the ring, yeah, I couldn't imagine with, without a crowd to, to feed off of. And then as a performer, I couldn't imagine what that would be like too because a lot of what you guys do, you kind of have to feel it out with the crowd too, right, and what they're digging and what they're not. Oh, absolutely. And that's that would be part of the, the difficulty in working in front of no crowd. It's it's hard to, to get that that you know the feeling you get when you're in the ring and you're performing and people are reacting it gets you pumped up and i mean it it makes things a lot easier to do it makes it a lot easier to figure out what you're doing where you're going it, it the crowd definitely is plays a part in putting together a good match all right well awesome well at the end of the day i think we're going to remember final deletion um, I will remember it as my second favorite TNA segment I've ever seen. First, still being uh, Black Machismo, you know, Jay Lethal when his Ric Flair impressions when they had a, they had the Ric Flair off the one night on uh, on, on TNA. Um, but I'll remember both of those, and I look forward to continuing to watch those as I introduce people to weird angles in wrestling. So, good stuff. <laughs> um, Definitely. So. All right, you guys, we, we hit that point of the show, kind of that halfway mark where we kind of want to maybe throw a shout-out out or maybe a rant for you guys this week. Uh, Cedric, do you have any praises, any rants you want to throw out there this week? Anything yeah, bothering just a, you? Yeah, just a quick quick shout-out and praise to the to the WWE. Definitely awesome bra- bracketology. Uh couldn't have picked a better duo to comment. It was amazing to see the warmth, the, the passion from the American Dragon, uh, Dan, well, Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, as known in WWE, Mauro Ronello, since the first day I heard him comment, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, 
K1. I, th- I think he's amazing. So great pick to host. Awesome show. Uh, can't wait to see what else is going to happen. Happy to hear that it's not going to be a one-and-done thing. Even though Triple H has no idea what's going to come next, pretty sure he and Vince will get together and, and figure out a few things. And definitely, you know, uh, good good on TNA and Lucha Underground and all these new companies and Ring of Honor, you know, J- New Japan is doing their own thing, starting to build their companies. Some of them already built like New Japan, but getting, you know, the U.S. crowd to get to know them and, and kind of push the WWE to maybe start looking into doing newer things that will spice up the, the, the company, you know. That's, that's what it is all about, is having different different flavors and being, being able to pick pick and choose what you like. Cool. Yeah, awesome. I I also enjoyed the episode. Obviously, I mean, I thought it was pretty amazing that that first week they did. But to me, the bracketology episodes, like all that leading up into it, were just so fantastically done. So yeah, good, good on them for that. Uh, Alexter, anything you want to praise or get off your chest? Yeah, I'm just gonna jump right in here as well for the uh, for the cruiserweight classic and say some praise. Uh, again, apologize for the spoiler if you have not watched episode one. Uh, but that main event match between uh, Ibushi and Maluda, that was that was pretty pretty amazing match. Uh, I I dare to say that for someone who has never seen Maluda wrestle, that to me was almost an instant classic. Mm. Uh, you know, another member of the uh, Anoa'i family, and uh, the guy can go, man. He, he 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 for a moment there, I really thought he may have actually pulled an upset on Ibushi. Um, so there was just a, a very great match put together. Um, by by two people who not a lot of people in America have actually seen unless you're you know a true wrestling purist kind of fan. So uh, I'm glad that uh, these guys are finally getting some good exposure, and uh, I can't wait to see more of this tournament. It's it's been excellent so far, and having you know Brian and Mauro Ronaldo on commentary has just been great because they bring something just so so unique to the table. Um, both are not necessarily color guys. They're more, you know, in-depth play-by-play. Uh, Morrow with his just great sports background uh, as far as calling everything. And Brian with his history with a lot of the wrestlers in this tournament and going through what they've gone, what they're going through right now. Uh, it just really makes the whole thing feel special. Well, kudos. Yeah. Let's not forget Corey Graves backstage too. You basically got like your three best you know, in my opinion, three of the best guys that they that they could have picked for this particular event. So, yeah, awesome job. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. If if they added Corey Graves to do a three man, I don't know how exactly he would go over because he is more of a color guy. Um, but yeah, those those three are are pretty excellent. I think I'd rather him be the the host of the show, like the pre and post. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd prefer that. You're, now, now this this three man, we're still talking wrestling, right? No, we're talking commentary. <laughs> well, that's what I. That, those, those two guys are retired from main wing action. Well, no, that, that's what I meant. You just you, you said you're gonna have a three man, and I was just making sure we're still we're still on the wrestling topic. But all right, so all right. praise and rant of the week. Well, we talked a minute ago about uh, WWE making making movies, right? So my rant is, why are they so mad about Hulk Hogan making a movie? About uh, you know about about himself. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm not, not going to go down that road tonight. Anyway. So. Uh, 
No, I uh I delete, I, delete. Yeah, delete. <laughs> I uh Brother, I knew you. Oh man. I mean, like 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 any like any other American, I I had to watch it, but it is what it is. So you've got uh... <laughs> sorry, it just struck struck me funny a while ago when you were talking about making movies, and I was like, oh, I got to talk about this Hulk Hogan thing. But anyway, so uh, for me, I I also kind of wanted to just carry some praise over from the from CWC, and and then I want to talk just. A slight rant about something else, but you guys pretty much covered all my points. Great stuff they had with that first episode of the Cruiserweight Classic, but on a negative side, I'm kind of I don't know whether to be disappointed or, or happy about the way WWE has kind of in, in their treatment of Roman Reigns um, after this failure of a you know, of substance abuse. It it's kind of shocking to me that they would come out each week and they're having um, Seth Rollins just really lay everything out on, on Roman every week um, and just really running him into the ground. Uh, it seems weird for, for Roman both as like a person and as a character, I guess. Um, and I don't know how I feel about it. At the same time, anytime they sort of start involving kind of insider stuff into it, I sort of appreciate that as far as their ability to um just kind of put that out there for the for the fans and i know like for my kids having to explain to my son like this is what happened with roman reigns this is this is why he's on tv and he still doesn't understand why he still gets to wrestle and you know after everything that happened but it's i think we're all on that way how did how did you guys feel how do you guys feel about what's going on with him on tv because i know for me like, it's kind of cringeworthy at times. It bothers me to some degree because I'm like, damn, man, you guys are running him into the ground. And then you had the the thing last week where it's the back-and-forth interview thing with him and Roman Reigns, and they just they just made it look really bad. And maybe that's what we're supposed to do for Rollins and his heel character and just really just think it's despicable what he's doing. But, you know, and I'm obviously he doesn't really feel that way about Roman, but what do you think about WWE, like, allowing this to happen? Mm-hmm. Well, my take on it is if, if they're really trying to make Rollins look more like the bad guy by doing this, I really think it's backfiring because you're getting more and more people chanting for Rollins every single week since this has happened, really since his comeback. And uh, it, it really feels like there's a, a very organic turn happening for him, at least from fan reaction that I've noticed. Uh, or maybe that's just so many smarks out there who are you know, just rooting for the bad guy, yeah, but I, I, I don't. Personally, I think that's I, the case I here. think there's really that many people who disliked Roman Reigns to like such a degree, um, which I it's just crazy to me. But uh, Cedric, what about you? What do you think? I just think if if they're if they're smart, just like you guys have mentioned before, you know the the whole people rooting for Rollins and hating uh, Reigns, either WWE wants to pe- let people know, yeah, he's he's not our protected golden, you know, child that that people have been talking about, so we're gonna let him get this heat. And this is the way we're going to do it and just bring him back as a heel. Because to be honest with you, you know, in, in, in all reality, who would want to come back to play the face? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you will be legitimately upset that the company you work for through the guy that you hate has been putting you down. So really, storyline wise, the, the right thing to do is to bring him back as, as a heel. It, I would not understand how they would continuously push him as a face. 
it, it would be mind-boggling to me. But from a reality aspect, yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult sometimes to hear. Like, I, re- I personally don't yet know exactly what he violated, like what if he took some kind of um, pain med- medication or something. Well, they, they, and and that's what white busting for. They said it was an amphetamine, but they didn't say exactly what kind. So I don't know. It it depends what the the end result is. What's gonna def, is gonna make this what they've done if it was if it was good or not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If if at the end it makes sense, like all this that's making us feel uncomfortable as we're hearing it, there's a true end goal that's going to work, then definitely you'll be like, damn, that was messed up. They used it, but I, I could see why they did it. But if they were to bring him back as the face, seeing people booing him, because you know they're going to start, they're not only going to boo him now, they're going to come with comments, you're going to see the, the the posters, you're going to see so many things that for him to continue to push as a as a face is going to be very difficult. So let's see how it plays out, but it is, it is kind of weird how they've made a point of continuously... Yeah every week make fun of it or just rub it in your face like now they, they i think in the inter- in the fake interview rollins called him a cheater you know talked about his heritage yep. how he let his family his fans down so he even took it even more personal when he brought in his heritage and we all know that that whole family is very very proud of their heritage so that was it's, it's pretty difficult but let's see what the end the end result's gonna be that's that's what's gonna make it all either worthwhile or not well billy what what do you think of all of this uh, honestly, I find the whole situation just kind of confusing as to what they're going for. Uh, like, first of all, I was amazed they brought Rollins back as a heel, especially with the uh, the comeback videos they showed for him. They presented him as uh, a sympathetic guy who is, you know, working to overcome his injury and make his comeback. And I, I thought they presented him uh, as a babyface in that whole situation. And then to bring him back as a heel was kind of confusing. But uh, then... Uh, I mean, pretty much any other time they've had a guy fail a wellness test, they it's just, you know, swept under the rug. Well, not swept under the rug, but in terms of storyline, the guy's just kind of gone for a period of time. And then to bring it up and the way they're doing it, they're they're making Rollins look like a jerk for for continuously hammering him with it. But that's where I'm kind of confused, because is are they going to bring Reigns back as a face? And if they do, what kind of message does that send this guy got busted for doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing and now they're going to bring him back and make him the big baby face hero i mean I, I don't think that sends a good message at all so i i really am confused to see where this is going and i really feel like rollins should just be the face in this whole situation and they should just let reigns sit out his suspension without any kind of mention or anything like that and bring him back and do whatever you're going to do with him after that. But I don't know how to, to bring it into storylines. is I don't know. I, I don't like it. Yeah. It, I'm saying I'm kind of, with, I'm with you on this one, Billy, for sure. Like I just, it, it does like, there's times I hear it and I'm just like, Oh, and then like my son has to ask me like, did Roman Reigns really say that? And I'm like, no son, like you can tell that this video was shot, you know, and he's trying to explain it. It's just, it was really confusing for my, both my kids too, watching it. And so then it's just the way that they, they put it together, I think it's caused more confusion and then for me than it has interest in, in the match that's coming up. So it, absolutely. I, I was gonna say, like based on, on what Bailey just said and and just the mixture of all, uh, all of our comments, I think what what makes it weird for me is we still have this triple threat match coming up. And to me, 
when Rollins, even when Rollins goes face to face with Dean Ambrose, it's almost like he's more concerned about R- Roman Reigns and, and putting him down, you know? So it's almost like I would have preferred them to have had a one on one match. Because, regard, unless Romans is going to win, which I doubt it, it would, I think it would have been much better to have them, Ambrose and Seth, fight. Maybe Reigns comes and disrupts the match in something that, and that causes him the Rollins the match or something. But it is almost weird to have the only interaction and build that Reigns has is not even physically present. It's through whatever Rollins is doing. Mm. So it's it's kind of weird. So that's that's why I was wondering, like, what is this setting up? This is this has to it has to be setting something up. But yet it, it's so weird that he's not there. So Rollins is not really focusing so much on Ambrose, but more on Rollins. So I don't know. I, like I said, I would have preferred just a one-on-one match, and yeah. that's about it. All right. Well, thanks for entertaining me. Or thanks for uh, listening to me and giving your opinions on that one. Because it was kind of bothering me when I when I heard Raw this week and then in the SmackDown, you know, some of it as well. So, um, all right. Moving on to the next thing. We're going to have our instant classic match of the week. Um, so... This, to me, is the best wrestling match I've ever seen. I think after I broke it all down, I decided, okay, yes, this is the one I would pick if I had to pick my favorite match of all time. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, the submission match from WrestleMania 13. It was my week to pick a match, so I'm going to let you guys break the match down first. Give me your thoughts on it. Uh, Billy, you want to run us through your thoughts of this particular match? Uh, yeah, the uh, I actually just watched this about, I want to say about a month ago, but I, I remember watching it live as it happened on pay-per-view, and there, there's just so much going on in that match, like the the alignment's about to change with the uh, baby face and heel with Austin and Brad Hart doing the double, double turn, and then he got Shamrock in there as a referee, and it was just such a different style of match for the time. It, it seemed like it was kind of... I mean, looking back on it now, especially, it looks like that kind of kickstarted the whole Attitude Era, mm-hmm. which, uh, I mean, as we all know, was such a huge deal in the 90s and just changed the pro wrestling business. But I, I think it's I, I think it's an excellent choice. Uh, it's it's an amazing match. You can go back and watch it now, and it, you, you go back and watch stuff from that period of time now, and a lot of it doesn't age that well. I think that, if anything, has gotten better because it just tells such a great story. Um, the fact that Austin bled in the match as much as he did, I mean, I think it really added something to it, which kind of highlights something that's missing from wrestling now. I don't think, you know, every, you know, big match like that needs to be a bloodbath or anything, but it definitely adds to the drama and the, the story they're trying to tell. And, uh, just the iconic shot of him in the sharpshooter, you know, just screaming in pain, got the blood streaming down his face. Like that's something that from the second I saw it until for the rest of my life is just etched in my brain. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, Cedric, what'd you think? I was, uh, I, I was going to say, um, Billy, if you want to see bloodbath, <laughs> Carlos Colon versus Jason the Terrible. Gosh, <laughs> yeah, dang. our match from last week. Oh, I've, I've seen some of those. Yeah, oh my God, those are frightening. <laughs> I forgot to give a disclaimer before I, 
I picked that one. Anyway, hope <laughs> hope we didn't lose listeners because because of it. It the 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 few things that stood out for me from the get go just that was WrestleMania 13. What what a huge difference from this past WrestleMania to that WrestleMania. You know, we so over the top in the special effects, the lighting, the the everything else. But yet this one, as non-spectacle as it was, the matches was the spectacle, and that to me is something that I believe is missing in wrestling. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, the build-up, they went through a nice little summary as to why we got to the point that we got. The commentating, I'm, eh, it was okay, but it told a story and it kept you intrigued as to why things were happening the way they were happening. Uh, two legends, you know, at the time you could just tell just the contrast and style, you know, Bret Hart, any move that Bret Hart does is excellently, excellently executed. That's that's so obvious with him. He he's one of the people that de- definitely deserves the hope. That nickname. Still still think that nobody hits a turnbuckle chest first harder than he does. Nope. And and his um post figure four leg like that he does from the outside, that that's a maneuver that's just devastating. The match itself was great, great moves, great hits, great spots from inside the ring, outside of the ring and the fans, everything was just it was a great storytelling match. Ken Shamrock, gosh damn, that guy was big. Roids are good for you. <laughs> but um <laughs> even my wife was like, Why is Ken Shamrock I'm like I have no idea, but uh, uh, um, until the end when he pulls Bret Hart off a stone cone and does a pretty good slam, I'm like, I have no idea why he's there, but yeah, he was there. And definitely, you know, what gives this match even more value is knowing that he and that Stone Cold and Bret Hart had talked about the whole blading. And we all know that Mr. McMahon has never been a fan of that. So that definitely also even added more to these two, you know, the respect outside of the ring, but yet the hatred inside the ring, just it was just chemistry. And it was a great, great match. All right, Hawkster, what are your thoughts on this match? That good, huh? All right. For me, yeah, I'd say this, this this match truly is a masterpiece in all all aspects of that word. Uh the the psychology being told where you have, you know, the the squeaky clean good guy, the just the true naturally born athlete versus the rude, crass, you know, just blue collar common man who's just out out to, you know, get his own. And this, the turnaround in this match to me really was kind of like the birth of the anti-hero. Cause prior to this t- time, I mean, almost every storyline that we got, you know, even proceeding from movies, TV shows, you had a defined good guy and you had a defined bad guy. You really didn't have that, that tweener and or anti-hero that we see a lot of in modern day stories and modern day movies. Uh, so to me, Stone Cold really was one of those first guys to be like that. As far as the match itself, I mean, both these guys were on their A game. Like there, there really wasn't a bad move in there. Uh, it, it was, it was spectacular. The brawling, the the technical aspects, both submissions from, from on both sides of the fence. It, it was, it, it was just incredible for me. And at the end, you know that when Bret Hart locks in the sharpshooter. You just hear the crowd just going absolutely nuts. And even McMahon 
on commentary yells, listen to this crowd, listen to this crowd. You know, it's just, it is just events like that, that make WrestleMania the showcase of immortals as we call it now. It was, it was just something spectacular. And, uh, as far as a side note from the match itself, uh, I guess just a kudos to Austin or Austin giving himself a pat on the back, uh, was, uh, he's analyzing this match in a, in a post commentary, you know, just calling the match while watching it. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, you know, he's saying, there I am laying in a pool of blood and it's the best feeling in the world. Now, when you hear someone say that, you got to think, okay, that guy's off his rocker. But, I mean, in context, like, that's, it just really speaks volumes to what those two men did that night. Man, I, I don't even know where to, to, to start when I talk about this match. I get emotional, like, to this day watching this match. Because as a huge Bret Hart fan as a kid, um, this was one of those times where you actually kind of were like, Brett, what are you doing? You know, at the at, at the end of this match when he continues to attack Steve Austin, and even the brutality he showed during the match, um, you you didn't get to see that killer instinct all the time in 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 Bret Hart, and it, I always kind of feel like if we could have saw that aggressive of a Bret Hart the year before when he, I I don't think Shawn Michaels would have beat him. Um, obviously way they booked it but i just mean as far as where his character was at but what i really enjoyed in this one was i'm not a big todd pettengale fan but i thought that the intro that they did where they talked about how would you feel you know if you left and you came back and everything was different and you know they, they laid everything out as far as what bret hart had, had left and then what he came back to and then what was going on with him and and steve austin leading leading up to this match and at the beginning, it's just it's one of those things you, you just can't describe when you're watching it. Again, I also got to watch this one on uh, live and on pay-per-view. It was one of those things to where when this match was over, I could have turned the TV off and not watched any more wrestling that night. I didn't even need to see any matches after this one was over because I knew all I was going to be thinking about, talking about, was going to be this match afterward, so... And to this day, as, you know, a fan of wrestling for over 20 years now. In fact, 20 years, this match has almost been been good for 20 years. So, but, uh, it's always have an emotional place for me just because of how hard Steve Austin fought at the end of that to finally, you know, go, go out and then to be attacked again by Bret Hart. The, the first time I, in my life, had ever seen a double turn, so. Amazing match, um, so much stuff you could get into just from the psychology of it. But that was one thing I wanted to ask you, Billy. As a as a wrestler, um, yeah. When you're watching a, a match like this, how differently do you see it to you as a performer versus us as fans who have never got to actually, you know, train as wrestlers? I think it really depends. Like, if you're talking about this match in particular, yeah. Uh, I, if it's a match that the it's just so pitch perfect of what it's doing, uh, I I can sit and watch something like that, like just as a fan and just really enjoy what they're doing and not try to pick it apart and just kind of sit back and let the story be told and enjoy it. Uh, 
with a lot of stuff, it, it's hard to watch and not see, you know, the wheels turn and see where it's going, you know, see kind of, you know, see what the guys are going for, you know, before it happens and yeah. kind of get an idea of, you know, what they had in mind and, you know, just little details and stuff like that that you, that you notice after you've been wrestling for a while. But if it's a really good match, if the, if the psychology is really on, or even if it's just something that's like a crazy high-flying spectacle, uh, like the Ricochet and Osprey match, like I, I can just sit back and turn my brain off and watch something like that as a fan, and that's pretty much how I know when I'm watching something that's really good. Interesting, because I know like even, even me watching this, again, uh, as a little kid, didn't notice any of it, and it never came to mind, and just, but like, even watching it now, I've seen this match so many times that I just start paying attention to different things. And, like, I could see, like, there's a couple spots where you can see Steve telling Brett something. And, you know, Brett's pulling his head down and he's talking to him. And then I know there's the spot where Brett's going to try to come down and come down on his knee again when he's got it up on the turnbuckle. And right before he does it the last time, Stone Cold sits up, says something to him, and then he misses and. I never noticed those types of things when when I was younger, and it seems like now, um, as I get older, I really pick those types of things out in the matches. But I, I almost have like a higher appreciation for it because it's like, man, I, you know, they, they were able to just, I never saw that stuff when I was younger, and, and now that I I see it, I like it even more because I'm like, wow, there he is, he's telling him, you know, what's going on, <laughs> and then even with my kids, like I explain it to my kids, I'm like, see, look at that, buddy, like that's him, you know, talking to him about this and about that, because, I mean, my kids are totally breakdown matches, sometimes as much as I will. Um, it's crazy for a, for a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old, you know, to be pointing out stuff and be like, oh, Dad, look, you know, he just he just told him, he, you know, looked like he told him to do this on the turnbuckle or, you know, whatever. So, but, um, yeah, this was one they enjoyed watching with me, and it's good to share a, a, a match with them that, that we were all able to, all able to enjoy uh, and one of my favorite matches, like I said. So thank you guys for reviewing it and uh, looking forward to um, Hawkster's pick next week. So we've covered our, our instant classic match of the week. We got uh, two fantasy bookings left, and we'll wrap up this episode. So who do we have for fantasy booking this week, Cedric? Alrighty, for this week we had Legion of Doom versus Demolition and... Briscoes versus Midnight Express. <clears throat> okay, well, obviously we know LOD and, and Demolition happened um, toward the end of Demolition's run uh, in in the WWF, but we're we're mainly going to be focusing on uh, you know basically an all time Legion of Doom versus the best version of Demolition that that we saw in WWF. We've broken these these teams down already before, but what I want to do is. Billy, if you could give your thoughts on on this matchup and let us know who you think would win and why. Uh, let's see. I, so we're talking both of these teams at the peak of their ability, at the peak of their runs. Yes. Uh, to plucked out of time and put together. Okay. Um, no, no home field uh, advantage, nothing like that, and just gotcha. a straight up, straight up tag match. All right. Um. 
See, this is a tricky one because uh, there, there's two kinds of people. There's Legion of Doom Road Warriors fans, and then there's Demolition fans. Uh, there's not a lot of crossover there. Myself, I'm a huge Demolition fan. Um, I appreciated what the Road Warriors did and what they do or did, but uh, I always thought Demolition were, uh, were better, uh, for lack of a better term, technicians in the ring. The Road Warriors went out there and just annihilated people. Mm-hmm. And demolition would, I mean, maybe not so much by the time they were on their way out, but they would really systematically pick people apart. And I really enjoyed watching them work. But I, I think uh, I got to give the nod to the Road Warriors in this one. Uh, I, when they're when they're at their peak and they were just out there crushing everybody, uh, I, they were basically unstoppable. I mean, they're booked that way, obviously, but. At the same time, I still think in a one-on-one, or excuse me, one team versus one team, two-on-two, two, uh, I still think the Road Warriors at, at their peak had a higher peak than Demolition did at theirs. Okay. Um, Cedric, what do you think from your Wrestling 101 film study? To me, you know, these were two of my favorite tag teams growing up. Like, who did not have a a fruit punch now or later, just have the red tongue and think that they were sticking the tongue out and pretend and pretend they were taking off the mask. You know what I mean? I, I know I did many, many times. So, yep. and and definitely the spikes, you know, it, it was their, their outfit, their, their music, two of the best teams from top to bottom, I think, historically, you know, if, when it comes just to the top teams anyway. Uh, very... Similar, obviously, you guys know, but to me, I, I just got to go with, with I, I go with Legion of Doom or Rogue Warriors, whatever you want to call them, LOD. It just from their Smash Mouth style to me was a little bit different from Demolition, but they I think it was a bit stronger. Just the, the physique, their build, the way they their look, and definitely that, that finishing move, man. The Doomsday device, how many tag teams afterwards have paid? respect and homage to, to them by doing either the same version or version of it. So I definitely like LOD a lot. Okay. Hawkster? What a rush. And I can't do the music. But, <laughs> That's uh, Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, Mickey's yeah. last break. Mickey coming back as, as Hawk. But anyway, continue. Yeah. Well, uh, I will not. I will not try to intimidate or imitate either one of them, their managers because I'm not that good. But uh, yeah, I got. I got to give this to uh, Animal and Hawk as well. Uh, they were just two smash mouth, strong, beat you up kind of guys. And not to say that Demolition wasn't. I mean, Axe and Smash did a lot of double axe handles and a lot of smashing themselves. But. Uh, yeah, Hawk and Animal, they, they were, they were animals. And, uh, uh, same thing as kind of what Billy said, you know, they, they, they were just a little bit better back in their prime than, uh, than Demolition was in their prime, in my opinion. And, uh, the Doomsday device, I think really, really is a key, key factor there because they could perform that on anybody. Wow. So we're going to have to have a clean sweep here. I think Legion of Doom's going to win, but, uh, here comes the axe. Here comes a smasher. I really wish they could have they could have won this one because let me I mean finishing move wise I love the Doomsday device but I also loved Demolition's finisher 
with um, them coming off the the second rope there, and the other guy having him sort of in that that pendulum backbreaker style thing, and him just yeah. coming down demolition on top. decapitation. The decapitation, yeah. I um I absolutely loved their uh their their tag finish was was very good too. I think what it comes down to at the end of the day, the, to me, what would win it is Hawk had a different type of athleticism than any of the other three participants in, in, in this match. And I think people under, I think he's kind of underrated for the amount of speed and athleticism that he had for a guy his size. And I think at the end of the day, he's kind of the, the X factor in this match. He's just that much faster. Um, strength wise, they all are, are fairly the same. Although, you know, animal still might be the strongest guy in the match. So overall, I think Legion of Doom's just got too much for demolition, but man, I love demolition. In fact, I know everybody's I'm sure if you haven't heard the first episode, Demolition is my first memory um, of wrestling was uh, seeing them do an interview with Mr. Fuji and just thinking they were the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, on, on These guys TV. are just mean. Why are they doing such yeah, bad things? Yeah, why are they things? doing such bad things, though, man? Because then I couldn't read. You know, I was like, we're just so, they're just so bad when I was a kid. But It almost cost me a cavity, though. It, oh, yeah? So many now laters. Ah, Bazinga! That was punny and yeah. funny. Funny and funny at the same time. Nice, good work. All right, so Legion of Doom. I don't know who's gonna beat them coming down the coming down the pike here, but uh, well, they'll be moving forward to the next round of our fantasy tag team tournament. So the next one that we have here is going to be them boys, the Briscoes. Uh, versus the Midnight Express. Now, if this isn't a weird, interesting matchup, if there ever was one, um, Houkster, who do you got in this matchup? Man, this is tough because you got you got the Midnight Express, not the Midnight Rockers or yeah. the Midnight Rock and Roll, the Midnight Express, who truly, I mean, they're just talking prestige. I don't know, we don't use prestige in our. Uh, in our evaluations here, but just talking prestige. I mean, these guys were the heels of all heels back in the day, you know, like these, these guys were the guys that you love to hate. And they were the guys that beat all your favorite guys. So it's, it's hard to see them losing a match. That being said, them boys, them Briscoe boys, man, they, they got everything. They've got speed. They've got agility. They've got just freak gorilla strength. I, I don't know if I can really see Midnight Express winning this one. Sure, they may have the experience and they may have the uh, the ring psychology to get around them, but uh, but I don't know if they can overcome just the pure athletic ability that uh, that Mark and Jay have, and especially the innovate innovation and creative move set that they have. I just I just don't see any way around it. Uh, I think it's a it's a it's a pretty one sided affair here. Oh, okay. Interesting. Cedric? I I just... I'll keep it simple. You know, there is no counter to the retinue kung fu. (laughs) This is what I think. You know, when you're the only known black belt in retinue kung fu, that's pretty tough. You know, that's like Van Damme type thing we're talking about here. Steven Seagal. So, I go like Van Damme! I'll go. I'll go with. <laughs> I don't even know what that was. That was exactly that. Yeah. Man, damn. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'll go with the Briscoes. You know, 
what I saw from the Midnight Express, man, these guys were tough, man. I, I was I was amazed some of the finishing moves. It was just brutal. Some of the things that they were doing from a, you know, full Nelson to the face plant, literally face plant. There was like no gift to that. To some of their moves from the top rope. So they were definitely unique for their time. And this will not be an easy match. But I agree with Huck Stanley, you know, the, the Briscoes is just innovation in, in that ring. Uh, some of their moves paying homage to like McFoley and whatnot from Mark J, just the, the J driver or drill or whatever the heck they calls it, or their own version of the Doomsday device. They're just a fun tag team to watch. And even when they lose, a match, you know you're going to get a heck of a match between them and their opponents. So I'll, I'll choose the Briscoe. Billy, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go against the grain with this one. I'm picking Midnight Express. I think the Briscoes are great. I think those they kind of remind me, they almost have the mold of like a, a Road Warrior-style tag team. They're just crazy intense, and they come at you at 110 miles an hour. But uh, – Midnight Express is like the perfect example of a tag team where as a kid, I absolutely hated them because they always found a way to win and usually by nefarious means. But as an adult, I have come to really appreciate what they did. Uh, I think in a like a straight up fist fight, the Briscoes probably literally murder them. But uh, I think it, somehow, some way, the Midnight Express would come out with the victory, possibly with a Jim Cornette tennis racket shot. Yeah, I'm actually with you, Billy. Um, I I would take the Midnight Express in this. I think that um, the Midnight Express have underrated size. I think for the and and strength for the things that they could do. And man, from a tag team standpoint, even though the Briscoes are brothers, it's just the the type of communication and the um, the ability to be on the same page. And just when it comes to pure tag team wrestling, I don't know. If there's been a better heel tag team in the history of wrestling than the Midnight Express, it it would be very very hard for me to to say that the the Briscoes could compete with these guys. Obviously, great match, but I'm kind of gonna tie it up here. Um, I think I think the Midnight Express versus the Briscoes. I I would take the Midnight Express. For similar means for you, Billy. I think that Jim Cornette plays a role. In this one, whereas the the Briscoes won't have a won't have a manager by their side, so we are going to sit at a tie at least at the moment for this one. Um, All right. What do you guys think? I think we're going to have to uh, go talk to some of our friends over at uh, WTM Wrestling to the Max and see if we can get a tiebreaker here. Yeah, I'm sure if we post something on the page there, they can break the tie for us. Because yeah, we'll. We'll ask them the question and let them break the tie. But uh, there you go. All right. So great show, guys. Sounds a uh, you know great talking subjects with you guys like always. I want to thank Billy McNeil for taking a couple hours out of his uh his Friday night and well into early Saturday morning, um just <laughs> to, just to sit down and, and and talk to us wrestling nerds for a while. And uh, always great to have a an actual independent talents perspective on the wrestling business and to to hear your your comments on the on the stuff that's going on is is just great because it either affirms kind of our line of thinking and make sure that we're not we're not way off base but then it's also a unique thing to just hear it from someone who's still actively competing so thank you very very much for joining us hey no problem thanks for having me on i really appreciate it uh 
I mean, you guys call yourselves wrestling nerds. I'm a wrestling nerd too. That's how I became a wrestler. So, uh, happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Uh, anytime. I'd love to come back. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we'd love, we'd love to have you back. Um, just one more time before we get off here. I just want you to, to let people know, uh, how to, how to find you so they can get to know Billy McNeil and his, his crazy monkey mask. All right, yeah, it's uh, Billy McNeil Pro Wrestler is the fan page. Billy McNeil is my personal page. Uh, if there's more than one Billy McNeil on there, it's the one that's a picture of me inside of a giant claw machine. <laughs> so that's that's how you find me. But, yeah, just go ahead and find me on there. I'll talk to you about whatever. Awesome. All right. Guys, you have anything for Billy before we uh, get done with the show? Yeah, I just want to say thank you very much for uh, for joining us. Uh, I'm sorry I missed the beginning of your interview. Uh, I apologize deeply. Um, but again, thank you so much. And uh, I can't wait to go back and hear what you had to say more of. Right on. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yes. Thanks. Thanks for being with us. You know, I, I know it's it's pretty late. Your you're end is almost, what time is it here? It's midnight here. I think it's probably, if you're Eastern time, it's probably between the, it's two in the morning for you, so definitely thanks for, for sticking with us. Thanks for the insights, and hope to have you be part of the Jabba's Court once again, since you have already been officially yeah, you know, deemed. We, 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 threw that, we threw that fake lamb blood at you. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> we don't have to go through hey, right. Oh, I missed the lamb? Through. You did. Uh, you I missed, missed the lamb? We, we actually had a lamb this time? It bleeded. And we had... And I had some po- a little bit of chanting and poetry for him too. Yeah, it man, I, it was, it I was worth out. every Last drop. Last week we had to buy the stuff from Walmart, man. <laughs> uh, all right, well, um, again, thanks everybody for being on. Thanks for my panel members as usual. And uh, this is the Rasquatch. Wrestling to the max. We're 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 coming to you guys to uh, figure out this fantasy booking. And uh, again. Thanks, everyone, for being on here. Feedback's always appreciated. Thanks very much. Court is adjourned.